Greetings, friends and brethren. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God. And I'd like to talk about the Days of Unleavened Bread. Do you know much about them? Do they have any meaning or applicability for Christians? And if they do, should they be haphazardly kept? I want to go through some passages in the Old Testament as well as some in the New Testament. And I might touch on some aspects of church history as well as we go through this. If you got your Bible, uh, you might want to follow along. I'm going to go to Leviticus chapter 23, starting in verse uh, 5. It says, On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. Now I'm using the New King James Version, not because it's perfect, but because it uses English that's easy to understand, and it tends to be based on, usually on the better manuscripts ancient manuscripts. Anyway, and on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. Now, are there ramifications for Christians for this? Now, consider that Jesus was killed during the daylight hours of Passover, uh, which is on the 14th day of the first month of the Hebrew calendar called Nisan or Abib. Now, Jesus was buried just before the start of the Days of Unleavened Bread. We can go to John 19 and we'll read verse 31. Now, I'm looking here. I've got it in various translations. I'm trying to figure out which one I want to do. Now, just for, for a change, let me go and read from the message. Then the Jews, since it was the day of the Sabbath preparation, and by the way, should you be Roman Catholic, the uh, Dewey Rames says it's because of the parasitivity, which basically means the same kind of thing. And so the bodies wouldn't stay on the crosses. It was actually staked over the Sabbath day. It was a high holy day that year. So this was not a regular Saturday Sabbath, necessarily. We don't think it was at all. We think this was uh, I don't know, a, a Wednesday. But basically, this is the first day of unleavened bread. Anyway, they petitioned Pilate that their legs would be broken to speed death and their bodies taken down. In verse 42, again this is from the message. So because it was a Sabbath preparation of the Jews, its tomb was convenient, they placed Jesus in it. So Jesus was put in a tomb just before the start of a great Sabbath or a high holy day. And which day, and as I mentioned before, that would have to be the day, first day of unleavened bread. Again, people will argue whether it was a Friday or Wednesday. We think it points to Wednesday. But that being said, Protestant and Roman Catholic uh, commentators realize that uh, this, this was the case. Uh, for example, let's see what I've got from Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, which is a Protestant commentary. John 19, 31-42, Burial of Christ. The preparation of the Sabbath Eve is that the bodies uh, must not remain overnight against the Mosaic law. On the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was a high day or great day, a first day of unleavened bread, and as concurring with an ordinary Sabbath, the most solemn season of the classical year. Well, I don't think it was with uh, a regular Sabbath. But anyway, so they're saying that was the first day of unleavened bread. Now, the Hadak uh, Roman Catholic Bible commentary says, regarding John, 
here, verse 31, the Jews, because of the preparation that the bodies might not remain on, on the cross or stake on the Sabbath, for that was a great Sabbath day, and the first and great day of the Feast of Azims. Now, Azims means unleavened. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, about a hundred or so years ago, when I read Catholic writings about the Days of Living Bread, they usually use the term A-Z-Y-M-E-S, uh, sometimes without the E. Now, let's go to Luke 24. I'll go back to the New King James Version of the Bible. Starting in verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, this is three and a half days after Jesus put in the tomb, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing spices with which they prepared. But they found the stone, the tomb rolled away. There they went in. They didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. It happened. They were greatly perplexed about this. That behold, two men standing by them in shining garments. And this is, by the way, during the days of leavened bread. I grew up Roman Catholic. I don't remember them ever saying this was happening during the days of leavened bread. Now, Roman Catholic scholars and priests, they all know this, but because they don't keep the days of leavened bread, they don't tell you that. And by the way, similarly, when I attended with Protestant uh, church for a time, they never say anything like this either. But they would never tie it into the days of leavened bread, even though the priest, excuse me, the pastor would have known that. Anyway, then as they were afraid and they bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he spoke to you when you stood in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and, and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Now, as John's Gospel account points out in John 20, verse 1, it was still dark. So this was not an Easter sunrise resurrection, okay, which is what a lot of people claim. Jesus was gone while it was, was dark. And again, as I said, as far as the days of living bread go, they do last seven days. And Jesus was uh, resurrected after three days and three nights. That's what he said he was going to do in Matthew uh, 12, verse 40. So Jesus was resurrected during the days of living bread. Now, let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's go to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 12. I'll read a little bit more about these days. I'm going to start in verse 15. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the first day you shall remove the leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. And on the first day there shall be a holy convocation. Okay, like a normal Sabbath, uh, for those of us who keep the Sabbath. And on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but what everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the Feast of Eleventh Bread, for on the same day I have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, in the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread, until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses. Since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or native in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. Well, are these days still supposed to be kept now? 
Paul did early Christians keep them, and uh, Christians keep them anyway. And why would Christians want to keep them? What happens if you don't? And by the way, what is leaven? Well, the Bible uh, connects the days of leavened bread to Passover. We mentioned that in Leviticus. You can find that in Exodus. You can also find it in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 5, and we'll get there in a little bit. Most professing Christians are aware that in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, it teaches indeed Christ is our Passover. But they don't literally do what happens afterwards, which is about keeping the feast. Uh, not with old leaven, but nor the leaven of malice and wickedness, but unleavened bread, with the unleavened bread of uh, sincerity and truth. And actually, most professing people of Christ, most people who profess Christ, are unaware they're supposed to keep any biblical feast. There's a lot of reasons, uh, however, that you should do so. One of the reasons they don't is mistranslations and traditions and misinterpretations of Scripture. By the way, we do have a booklet, Should You Keep God's Holy Days or Demonic Holidays? Uh, this goes into some information about each of the holy days, and in addition to having scriptural proof, has some historical references. Now I know some of you say, wait, it's got to be in the Bible. It is in the Bible. But maybe your church doesn't keep it. Maybe you're Protestant, and maybe you think you rely on Sola Scriptura. You have a very large book on that. <laughs> Hope of Salvation, How the Continuing Church of God Differs from Protestantism. Both of these books are available free uh, at the www.ccog.org website. That's ccog.org. Go to the Literature tab under Books and Booklets, and you'll find them. And we don't ask for your email or anything. And any other book that I hold up is also available there as well. But a lot of reasons people don't keep them is mistranslations of the Bible. And one of the reasons historical references are helpful, and they're also in this booklet, book as well, is because they show people who are willing to believe the truth how early Christians understood, for example, the New Testament when it came to the Holy Days. That's why historical references are helpful. Because again, I've heard people say, don't show me anything, Bible alone, I just want to see the Bible. That's great. But almost everybody is relying on some type of a translation or of the Bible for their beliefs. And the reality is the people who knew the languages the best, these would have been people who lived 2,000 years ago, left some records of how they understood Scripture. And throughout history, by the way, uh, Passover has been kept on the 14th uh, by uh, true Christians. You can find that throughout history. And true Christians were also keeping the days of leaven bread. And again, a lot of people uh, in the Protestant world don't realize that. And also, it was actually a belief of the original Catholic Church. And yes, this is another uh, free book that we have available at the ccog.org website. The original Catholic Church uh, was the Church of God in Smyrna, which is in Asia Minor, and we have all kinds of evidence and proof from people that the Greco-Roman Protestants call early church fathers that, yes, people were keeping Passover on the 14th and they were keeping the Days of Love and Bread. And this particular book right here goes into uh, all the biblical holy days and also has sections about mistranslations that can be helpful for people who don't understand what the Bible really teaches about the holy days. Now, perhaps going before we go further, let's go actually to the New Testament. Let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. 
which says from the Apostle Paul, Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Now the Corinthians were Gentiles. Now the Gentile Corinthians would have been observing the days of leavened bread because Paul said you're unleavened physically. But the problem was that the Corinthians were not unleavened spiritually. Oh, they went to the practice or the ritual, if you will, of removing leaven from their houses and their lives. Um, but they were supposed to be unleavened spiritually. And that's why Paul told them to be spiritually unleavened with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. That's what Apostle Paul was teaching, but many people don't get this. Furthermore, you don't have to go there, but in Romans 3.25, the Apostle Paul wrote, In his forbearance, God passed over the sins which were previously committed. So does that mean we're supposed to continue to sin? Of course not. In Romans 3, verse 31, don't have to go there, but Paul wrote, On the contrary, we established the law. Now, most people understand that uh, the Passover pictures a remembrance of Christ and his sacrifice. Now, we also know about the ancient Israelite portion. And you can also read about this in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 24 to 26. But many, particularly in the Protestant world, don't seem to understand we're not supposed to continue in sin. The Greco-Roman world has a whole other set of issues. Uh, matter of fact, we've got a booklet that I want to, I guess I'll hold this one up as well, on the Ten Commandments. You've got some Protestant scholars who say all the Ten Commandments were done away or all except the Sabbath Commandment was done away or something along that line. Then you've got Greco-Roman scholars who say the Ten Commandments are in place, but this one changed, this one doesn't mean what it says, etc., etc. So this book, uh, kind of booklet book, uh, goes into this in great depth with scriptures, historical references, etc. Anyway, one of the reasons why people don't realize they're not supposed to continue in sin partially is because they don't observe the days of love and bread, which helps drive the concept that you're not supposed to continue in sin because we're supposed to put leaven out as a symbol of sin and keep it out for seven days. So you've got to think about this during the days of love and bread. You're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to have leaven. You're not supposed to consume leaven. Oh, by the way, to know when these holy days are, they're also in this uh, free book, uh, uh, Should You Keep God's Holy Days or Demonic Holidays? Or, and we also have a calendar at the uh, cogwriter.com website. That's uh, C-O-G-W-R-I-T-E-R.com website. There's a holiday calendar, holidays up until like 2033, so you can find them just by quickly looking there if you wish. So it's hard to keep them if you don't know where they are, when they are. Now, I want to go back to the Old Testament. This time I'm going to go to uh, the book of Exodus, Exodus 23. i read some things from there. It's going more into leaven and some of the spiritual ramifications. It says, Exodus 23, starting verse 14. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None of you shall appear before me empty. And that has to do with offerings. That's that last part. You don't have to go there, but in Second Chronicles 8, verse 13, 
It says three appointed yearly feasts, the Feast of Eleven Bread, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Tabernacles. And there's other various days associated with them, so it heads up to way more than three days. And we see from these passages, particularly in Chronicles, these days are supposed to be kept annually. They're physical reminders of spiritual principles, including whether or not people will be obedient to the Word of God. But what's the right attitude to keep during the days of leaven bread? Well, in Chronicles, if you can go there if you want, Second Chronicles 30, I'm just going to read verse 21. We read, So the children of Israel, who were present at Jerusalem, kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing to the Lord, accompanied by loud instruments. So we also see that musical instruments were allowed. Some people have questions about that. And what were they singing? Probably psalms, because that would be most common. We have a book, our Bible hymnal, and you can find it online. You can go to ccog.org, go under music, and you'll find this particular one. And the, the songs are there. Our, our hymn book is there. And again, most of those are based on psalms. Not all of them, but many, or most of them are fairly directly from the psalms which is what children of Israel were doing, as, by the way, so were early Christians. Anyway, you don't have to go there, but Ezra, chapter 6, verse 22, we read, And they kept the Feast of Eleven Bread, seven days with joy. By the way, it's not some massive burden that you don't eat leaven for seven days. Anyway, for the Lord made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them and to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God God of Israel. And hopefully you have joy and want to support the end time work that Jesus wants done in his time. So anyway, the days of living bread are supposed to be kept with gladness and joy. But most people who profess Christ they don't keep them at all. But anyway, that's what God wants. God wants us to be joyful because he kept the seven days of living bread. They're not some in, properly burdensome thing, which is what certain Protestant scholars will try to tell you, or theologians, pastors. And, you know, Galatians 5.22 says, Joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit Christians are supposed to have. And we see from the Old Testament, people who got the days on the bread had joy doing it. It should be joyous. Now, in the world, sin and hypocrisy are prevalent. Likewise, in the world, leaven's all around. Now, Leaven, things like yeast and baking soda, it's in baked goods. It's in many other products. And leaven spreads. And many of the items it spreads, becomes part of, will crumble. So it's like bread, for example, or cookies and cakes. Now, in the Bible, leaven normally pictures malice, wickedness, and hypocrisy, as we see in the New Testament. While unleavened bread pictures sincerity and truth, as the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 8. Now, you don't have to go there, but Deuteronomy 16.3, it says in the Old Testament, no leaven shall be seen among you. Whereas in the New Testament, 1 John 1, verse 7 says, his son cleanses us from all sin, and in 1 John 3.4, that sin is lawlessness. Now, Jesus made it clear that leaven pictures the sin of the, and the teachings of the Pharisees. He's talked that in, in Matthew and in Luke. And he called them hypocrites. 
They claim to be God's leaders and teachers of his way, but they're often teaching traditions of men that Jesus condemned. You read that, for example, in gospel, Mark's, excuse me, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15. Now let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 12. Read something related to this. Luke 12, starting verse 1. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together, so they trampled one another, he, that's Jesus, began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And hypocrisy spreads. Verse 2. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Now, according to Strong's Concordance, the Greek word Jesus used that was translated as hypocrite means an actor under an assumed role. Now, Pharisees didn't think they were false religious teachers. Uh, they thought they kept God's law, but actually they pretended to keep it. And they really didn't do it according to Jesus. They were bearing false witness and they... Uh, endorsed false traditions. And I talk about that also in this particular book about the Ten Commandments. Uh, Jesus did not condemn the Pharisees for keeping the Ten Commandments, but for reasoning around them because of their traditions. Now, do you follow any false traditions? It's something to think about uh, during the Days of Living Bread and before the Days of Living Bread. Now let's go to... Uh, Matthew's Gospel account, chapter 16. You know, you know, false traditions from other religions or even our own excuses to why we can't change make us not deleavened during the days of leavened bread. Okay, we want to be deleavened spiritually. Anyway, going to uh, Ma Matthew 16, starting verse 6. And Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So, it wasn't just Pharisees that were doing this. The Sadducees, which was a priesthood, have a problem with them as well. Verse 7. The disciples couldn't quite get this at first. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Is it because we have taken no bread? <laughs> and Jesus was aware of this. And he said to them, Oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you brought no bread? Do you not understand or remember the five loaves of 5,000, how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000, how many large baskets you took up? How is it you don't understand? I didn't speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Verse 12. Then they, the disciples, the ones who became the apostles, understood it. He didn't tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, I want to go to Matthew 23, chapter 23. I want us to consider something else that Jesus said and taught. This time I'm going to read from Young's literal translation. Matthew 23, starting verse 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut up the rain of the heavens before men, for you do not go in, nor those going into you suffer you allowed to enter. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you eat up the houses of the widows and for a pretense make long prayers. Because of this, 
you shall receive more abundant judgment. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you go around the sea and dry land and make one proselyte, one convert, and whenever it may happen, you make him a son of a Gehenna twofold more than yourselves. And it's uh, unrepentant sinners who will experience the second death of Gehenna fire. Leaven in those passages is being used by Jesus to refer to the seriousness of sin. In verse 28, I'll read this in the New King James, Jesus further describes the Pharisees by saying, quote, Matthew 23:28, You also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Again, Jesus did not condemn them for keeping the law, but because they really didn't keep the law, they reasoned around it because of their traditions. We're going to go to Mark chapter 7. Uh, it, Jesus also tied in the Pharisees' problem with pride in the first uh, few verses there. But now let's go down to verse 14 of Mark 7. And when he called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from the outside that can defile him, but the things which come out of him. Those are things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 17. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked concerning the parable. He said to them, Are you not without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart but his stomach, and is eliminated? And he said, What comes out of a man defiles a man, but from within, out of the heart of the man, proceeds evil thoughts. And yes, by the way, I didn't read this, thus purifying all foods. That's not in the original uh, documents. What, what comes out of a man defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of the man, proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these come from within and defile a man. Well, pride puffs people up. Oh, I'm so educated. My leaders are so educated. I'm obviously following the right thing. You've got to be careful about that. Jesus condemned the, the prideful leaders of his day and followers of the prideful leaders. In 1 uh, Timothy 3.6, you don't have to go there, but the Apostle Paul specifically used the expression puffed up with pride when he warned against the novice to be, becoming a an ordained church leader. He also warned that instead of mourning or repenting, the Corinthian church were wrongly puffed up in 1 Corinthians 5.2. And in 1 Corinthians 13.4, which I'm going to read here, we see that unlike pride and leaven, real love doesn't puff you up. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Leaven puffs bread up. Pride puffs people up. And it's the pride of many people who won't allow them to keep the holy days. It's like, well, we haven't been kept them, so therefore if I keep it now, you know, it's going to show that I was wrong. Uh, they uh, are judges of the holy days, but the Bible says the Church of God should be the judge of this. And they don't understand something that's been mistranslated. 
Um, trying to figure out which translation to read here. I've got two here. Let me read from the uh, uh, New King James, which I corrected uh, an error in Greek here. This is from Colossians 2, starting verse 16. Because I mentioned mistranslations are a reason that people don't keep the holy days. And it's one of the reasons why I like looking at history, because it shows that the early Christians didn't rely on mistranslations. They understood what the Greek actually meant. Anyway, Colossians 2, verse 16. Therefore, let no man judge you in eating and drinking or in respect of a festival or in observance of a new moon or a Sabbath. For those are a shadow of things to come, but the body of Christ. Now, the body of Christ is the one who should be judging you. But unfortunately, we see mistranslations uh, from the King James and New King James along this. Anyway, verse 18. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, worshiping the angels, entreating those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, not holding fast to the head. The head, which is Jesus, kept the days of unleavened bread, and his disciples, the early apostles, all the apostles, they kept the days of unleavened bread. We need to hold fast to the original faith. From whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with an increase that's from God. We don't want to be spiritually puffed up. We want to do what the Bible says. And it talked about leavening agents. They're all around you. They include things like uh, yeast and baking soda, bicarbonate soda, baking powder, and a lot of other things. Uh, I, we have a list in an article uh, at this uh, cogwriter.com website. You're not going to see the list here, but I'll kind of put it here if you can sort of see list of leavening agents, non-leavening agents. Uh, instead of going through the list, I just want to kind of briefly go through something from the old Worldwide Church of God, March 1981 Good News Magazine. It says, what's leaven? What should be avoided? What foods are avoided during the days of leaven bread? It says, God uses leaven to typify sin. Sin puffs up, just like physical leaven puffs up. Unleavened bread is a type of unleavened life. To understand exactly what's included in leaven, we need to avoid, we've got to look at what the Hebrew word uh, translated leaven in the Old Testament. Uh, the term is mechkemiz. Uh, it refers to leavening agent substances to use, uh, used to puff up or produce fermentation, which causes dough to rise. Yeast, baking soda, baking powder, such substances. Another word, Hebrew word that's been translated as leaven is as uh, seod, this basically means sourdough, which is a naturally fermenting yeasty batter, which is common leaven that was used. Uh, these food agents, these leavening agents cause food to become, in Hebrew, a word called chamaz, or chamaz. Uh, that's the Hebrew word translated, that which is leavened, in Exodus 12:19. So it's C H A M. ETZ, that was how we would write it in English, is translated as, leaven, as leavened bread in a number of places. It refers to all foods that leaven has caused to rise, including bread, cake, crack, certain crackers, certain cookies, some prepared cereals and pies. Some candies uh, and other foods use it as well. If you've got any doubts, it says read the label. Instead of eating leavened bread, we're given the positive command to eat unleavened bread. We can also eat unleavened 
pies and cereals, uh, as well as you know various meats, drinks, fruits, vegetables like we normally would do so. And in modern times, a lot of stores can, can buy, have or sell, excuse me, various unleavened products. And you can also read the label. And by the way, we don't care if it says kosher for Passover or not. The Jews have some additional rules. Jesus condemned them for having additional rules. Uh, if it's either got leaven in it or it doesn't. If it's unleavened, it's unleavened. Uh, if we don't care if a rabbi blessed it or not. Um, yeast extracts, by the way, are not leaven. Uh, they are derivatives. They don't cause things to rise. And they're not leavening agents. In terms of beverages, uh, we don't believe that uh, beverages were prohibited. So even though yeast is used in, I think, making beer and wine, uh, we, uh, you don't get rid of it. As a matter of fact, naturally fermented wine was customarily used by the Israelites during the festivals. And for example, we know with Passover, uh, that would have been using wine, and that was a fermented beverage. Anybody has some substances that you're not sure if you should eat or not? As it says in Romans 14, 12, whatever's not of faith is sin. And now, looking more again at this old article from Worldwide Church of God, if partway during the Feast of Unleavened Bread you find some leavened products in your house, what should you do? Get rid of it immediately. This kind of could remind you of hidden sins that we didn't know we had until we were converted. We're always supposed to be putting out sin or leaven out of our... until uh, the process is complete. And it's why we believe there are seven days of unleavened bread. God's number, seven is God's number of completeness. And God intended the uh, days of unleavened bread to be a type to remind us that we are to be unleavening our life spiritually by putting out the spiritual leaven of sin, not for seven days only, but through our whole lives. And then it concludes with, Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, this is quoting First Corinthians 5, 8, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You know, physically, leavening agents puff up grain products make them look larger than they would be otherwise. And people often want to look more influential than they are. But I'm going to go to Micah, Micah 6, verse 8. Um, and what does God really want? Micah 6, I'll read verse 8 here. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord or the Yahweh require of you? But to do justly, to have mercy, and to walk humbly with the Lord your God. Now Satan's problem, by the way, is he refused to walk humbly. He was the anointed cherub, as it says in Ezekiel 28. Basically he had it all. His pride got in the way, as Ezekiel 28 says. Now humans often let their pride get in the way, and pride puffs people up. Most won't do what God says as their pride, their human reasoning, being influenced by Satan and society, whatever, gets in the way. I want to go to Proverbs chapter 16. Uh, read in verses 18 through 20. In the Old Testament, we're warned, Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. 
Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Verse 20. He who heeds the words wisely will find good. And whoever trusts the Lord, happy is he. Do you really trust God and not yourself? Can you humble yourself really and change your faults? Well, according to the New Testament, for example, Philippians 4.13, you can do all things with uh, Christ Jesus who strengthens us. Obadiah was inspired to warn of those, the pride of your heart has deceived you. Uh, our pride, all of us have had pride has deceived us. We don't want to remain in that situation. We want to change. I'm going to go to Proverbs. And I'm going to read this in reverse order to I have it in my notes. We'll go to Proverbs 15. This way you can keep in order. Proverbs uh, 15, starting verse 33, says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. Before honor is humility. Now, go a couple of chapters over to chapter 18. Proverbs 18, verse 12. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. Ah, oh, it can't bother me. I've, God's got, I'm with God, God's with me, or there's no God, or whatever they say. It says, before destruction, the heart is haughty. And before honor is humility. Now let's go over more chapters to chapter 29, Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 29, I'm going to just read verse 23. A man's pride will bring him low. People think their pride brings them high. That's not what the Word of God says. But the humble in spirit will retain honor. God wants you to forsake pride, accepts his teachings, be humble, and then he'll grant honor. Many don't have the faith to truly humble themselves. And in the end time, there's concern, Jesus had a concern about faith. You don't have to go there, but Luke 18, verse 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith in the earth? Many claim to believe in Jesus, but are unwilling to truly humble themselves before God. And such humility takes faith. And furthermore, you say, well, Jesus is... Isn't he referring to Christians? Yes. In the end time, most Christians will not have the type of Philadelphian faith that they should have. Most Christians in the end time will not have that. Uh, they won't humble themselves to support uh, a work that God has shown direct intervention through, through, uh, through dreams and fulfilled prophecies. Because they don't want to have anything to do with that. Because there have been a lot of false prophets and no, we don't want to do any of that. Their pride gets in their way because they're afraid people say, well, and I won't mention certain claimed Church of God leaders which are false prophets, but uh, three have come to mind. They're relatively well known. And, oh, we don't want to associate anything like that. People's pride gets in the way. Anyway, going back to Days of Leavened Bread, in Exodus 12, verse 15, I've read this before, it says, On the first day you should remove leaven from your houses. Now, those of us who tend to obey God follow this and remove all of our leavened bread crackers from our houses. We clean out our toasters and remove physical leaven from our lives uh, just prior to the days of leavened bread every year. But most people don't have the humility to do this. And many that do seem to get, let their pride get in the way of removing their own sins. 
But we're all, and we're always supposed to be examining ourselves. Now, since the physical removal of leaven involves work, and the term for the day in, he, in Exodus 12.15, the Hebrew term is M-I-Y-O-W-M, miom, and that's different from the normal term from day, um, by umen, in Exodus 12.16, even though the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance uses the same word, same number, by the way, but the words are actually different. And so it supports the position that the removal of leaven should be done before the start of the first day, which is the Holy Convocation. That's also consistent with statements in Exodus, such as, seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses. But if you don't start to clean your house of leaven until the first of the seven days of leaven bread, you're in violation of that. And also in Exodus 13, 7, you don't have to go there, but it says, Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. The only way for no, un, no leavened bread to be seen in one's quarters or one's house for seven days if it's gone prior to the start of those seven days. Uh, let me read something from the old uh, Worldwide Church of God. This is from Bible Scores Correspondence Lesson 26 from 1984. All leaven and leavened food should be removed from one's premises before the beginning of the first holy day. They should not be stored in another room. The morning after the New Testament Passover service, which is still the Passover day, is a convenient time to finish removing any leavening agents or leavened bread. It's wise to arrange purchases so when Passover comes there will be little leaven to discard. Removing these inexpensive products is one way God tests how much we value our obedience to Him. This is also, by the way, in terms of being cost-effective, we recommend you start the deleavening process uh, prior to the day's leavened bread because you can find out that you have leaven. For example, in our case, what we did is uh, uh, a couple weeks before the day's leavened bread in 2021, which is we typically would do, we start to clean out a cabinet. And what we do is take all the leaven products and put them in one spot, basically in a plastic bag. So we know those we need to be using up. And it warns us, you know, don't buy more of the stuff and to, to use, use up what you can. And by the way, you don't want to give leaven to somebody to give it back to you later. You don't want to hoist your sins on another and then want them back. Now, uh, now unleavened bread is made without leavening agents. And there's a lot of flat breads out there, by the way, including corn tortillas. One of the reasons I mentioned that is some people say, well, I've got a problem with gluten and I can't eat unleavened bread for seven days. But you can eat corn tortillas. Uh, and there's other ideas. Um, and we have a, a list of unleavened bread recipes, which you can find at the cogwriter.com website. As I mentioned before, unleavened bread does not have to be blessed by a Jewish rabbi or follow Jewish rules that are found outside of Scripture. And for those various dietary concerns, you don't have to eat very much. But eating some every day during the days of leavened bread helps us remember these days as well as to re remind us that sin's all around us and we need to remove leaven from our, uh, and sin from our lives. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians 11. As Christians, we know we're supposed to uh, examine ourselves prior to taking Passover, which comes as four days of leavened bread. Verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats this bread, the Passover bread, or drinks this cup of the Lord, Passover wine, in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of the body and blood 
of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, so he eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. But if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And the period of time of the days of love and bread is a time to try to reflect on and judge ourselves. I realize we're supposed to examine ourselves prior to Passover. But we should also be thinking of this, of course, throughout the whole year. But the reminder, by not eating leaven and by eating unleavened bread, should remind us that we need to be judging ourselves. Verse 32, But we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. And as I mentioned before, it's not just prior to Passover. If you consider, for example, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, Apostle Paul wrote about examining ourselves again and didn't tie it in with any particular period. He says, examine yourself as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not know that Jesus is in you unless you're disqualified? Uh, I mentioned before, it says uh, 1 Corinthians 11.31, we judge ourselves, we wouldn't be judged. I also want to read something from John 7.24. Jesus said, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. We need to use God's standards. Now I'd like to go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7. Do you look at things according to outward appearance? Well, lots of people, pretty much everybody does it. So. If anyone is convinced in Christ, convinced in himself he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as... He is, a, is Christ, even so we are Christ. And even if we should boast more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification, not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed, lest I should terrify you by letters. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful. <laughs> but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is contemptible. That's what they said about Paul. Let such a person consider this, that we are in word by letters. When we are absent, we are also be indeed when we are present. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who condemn themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. We have to use God's standards, not our lowered ones, to examine and judge ourselves. And the days of leaven bread is a good time to do this. If everything in your life's not going as you hoped, perhaps you're not looking hard enough. You also might want to pray for more understanding. Now, some intentionally or unintentionally seem to blame God, but that's not what Christians should do. Uh, let's go to Romans uh, 9. We'll go to verse uh, 14. Now, there are some things, problems that we have that pretty much no matter what we do will not be resolved. We'll take divine intervention. Maybe, for whatever reason, we're not uh, ready for that in this time. And uh, maybe, uh, you know, as the Apostle Paul wrote, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be uh, real, revealed in us. It's still a good time to examine yourselves because despite various tests or trials that you're going through, there's probably some aspects of it that uh, God could lighten or would lighten if you made certain changes. And who knows, perhaps even take the entire burden or most of the burden away. Anyway, in Romans 9, so what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. 
says Moses, I'll have mercy and will have mercy, compassion will have compassion. God's not actually arbitrary. You know, we've got a book, and I've gone through this. We did a couple of sermons about this. The mystery of God's plan. Why did God make anything, create anything? Why did God make you? Which basically explains that God has a purpose for what he has us go through. Okay? And God directs our steps. He directs everyone's steps to do what's best for us, even though it doesn't seem like it to us. But we're looking at the outward appearance. You know, God allowed this person to be wealthy, this person to be healthy, and maybe I'm poor, maybe I'm suffering with health issues, or, or, or maybe both, or various other things. There's a purpose behind it. Uh, speaking of purposes, verse 17, Scripture says, For this very purpose I raised you up, that I might show you power, etc., And go down to verse 25, it says in Hosea, I'll call them my people who weren't my people, and beloved who were not beloved. It should come to pass when I say to them, you are not my people, therefore you should be called the sons of the living God. And uh, verse 27, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of children of Israel will be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. In this age, only a remnant will be saved. We have a booklet Trying to find it here. Probably down toward the... It's down here someplace. At least it should be down here someplace. Ah, here it is. Is God calling you? So some we believe that God is only calling some in this age, the elect. You say, well, that doesn't sound fair for everybody else. What about those who are not called? We have a much larger book. If you can look at the, uh, the width of these. Okay, this is God calling you. This is universal offer for salvation. This talks about people who will be called in this age. This talks mostly about people who will be called in the age to come. See, there's a lot more information here, uh, more scriptures as well. There's, plenty of, there's lots of scriptures in here. This is a thicker book with more scriptures. So a remnant in this age will be saved. He will finish the work, cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And one of the things we in the Continuing Church of God are doing, by the way, is preparing for this short work. If you're a, a, a supporter of the Continuing Church of God, you are helping support the short work. Now, as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we'd become like Sodom, we'd be like Gomorrah. Well, Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Now, after we repent, we have not obtained perfection. We still need to examine ourselves. Now, the old worldwide church of God uh, put out that uh, living in sin is easy, being righteous is hard. Um, well, that's true, and it's to a degree. But in the long run, it's better off for those who live righteously. And they says, because of its soft nature, leavened bread is easier to eat than unleavened bread. Likewise, going the way of sin is easier than living righteously, well, in the short run. Obeying God is even difficult for a Christian because you still have a carnal nature that wants to sin. He wrote, uh, Sin exalts the self, righteousness builds humility. Leaven puffs up bread, the same is true of sin. It puffs up the sinner. His desire to exalt himself rather than allow God to rule him. When you choose to uh, live God's righteous way of life, you obey selfish desires. God is showing through the analogy of leaven that he wants us to escape the clutches of sin and to lead righteous lives. 
Sin's pleasures are temporary. The benefits of righteousness endure. Leavened bread left out soon becomes hard and moldy. Unleavened bread lasts actually much longer. Spiritually, the pleasures of sin soon pass away. And the end result is eternal death for those who won't repent. Righteousness brings both temporal and eternal blessings. Sin spreads easily. Righteousness is built slowly. It doesn't take long for leaven to spread through a loaf of bread. That's the way sin is. It spreads rapidly, Galatians 5.9. Whereas building righteous character, which is what you're supposed to be doing, takes a lifetime. Sin is based upon deceit. Truth is based on... is a base for righteousness. What you see is not what you get with a loaf of leavened bread. Air pockets give the impression there's more to the loaf than there really is. Sin also appears to be something that's not. Deceiving the sinner and thinking he's getting something worthwhile is only getting the death penalty. With righteousness, there's no deceit, only truth. Sin is more prevalent than righteousness, so it's easier to uh, fall into that crowd. Most people prefer leavened bread because they're more accustomed to it. Spiritually, the same is true. Most people prefer to live in sin. They may not know that's what they're doing, but we have to reject sin and live a righteous life. Sin uh, builds a false image. Righteousness builds true character. And leavened bread gives a false impression. So does a sinner. He may appear impressive on the outside, but on the inside, true character is based much more than on outward appearance. But what God is showing us through the analogy of leaven, and particularly this time of day is leavened bread, it's clear. He wants us to escape the clutches of sin and to lead righteous lives. And how do we eliminate sin and grow in righteousness? By following the three R's. Recognize, resist, and repent. Recognize sin. Can you do that? Well, many can't. Why? Because they overlook God's simple definition of sin. I'll read from the King James. Whosoever commits a sin transgresses also the law, for sin is a transgression of the law. Discerning sin is a matter of understanding and applying God's law, uh, such as the Ten Commandments. And I held up the booklet that we have on it a little bit earlier. Because a lot of people do not understand the Ten Commandments, and even those who claim to keep them, a lot of times do not understand how they're supposed to keep them. And people need to understand the Ten Commandments and live by them so they can help put sin out. Beyond the basic commandments, God requires obedience to biblical principles, referring to one's own conduct. Uh, we're supposed to uh, love others. We're supposed to love God. There's various rules in the Bible about civil laws and that kind of stuff. And we, But the Bible is clear that we need to put God first. It's the first commandment. We need to resist sin. And we need to uh, resist temptation before it turns into sin. People get tempted all the time. We don't want it to dwell on sin. As soon as you succumb a little bit, uh, you'll continue to go and do such things. It's easy to say, oh, I'll just have a little bit of this or whatever. Um, some of these parts are from an article called How Leaven Pictures Sin. Now we're supposed to repent of sin. Even when you recognize sin and resist it, um, people fall into it. We all make mistakes. The Bible says if uh, we say if we don't sin, we're a liar and truth's not in us. Anyway, so when this happens, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to strive not to sin. 
And we see God's forgiveness. And God says, God's word says, First John, if we confess our sins, He's faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, some oddly say, don't try so hard, just rely on grace. What, uh, well, Romans 6, verses 1 and 2 say, What shall we do then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live longer in it? Now, are you going to overcome all your sins at once? No. Some sins are so deeply and habitually uh, rooted into us, it's, it may take years to totally overcome, or a whole lifetime. But don't use that to, as an excuse to continue, and don't be dismayed by it either. You should ask yourself, am I sinning as often as I once did? Does this sin have as much control over me as it once did? If the answer is no, you're growing. You're making progress. Today, the world is in misery because of sin. Yet humanity rejects this very festival of the Day of the Leavened Bread that pictures the process that would lead them out of their sins. Of course, this is after accepting Jesus, the Passover sacrifice. So hopefully you will keep them. If you do your work at ridding your life of sin, you'll be greatly blessed now and in the future to be a member of God's family. Proverbs 12.28 says, In the way of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. I want to go to 1 Corinthians 10. And this has to do a little bit with pride. Not quite a bit with pride. 1 Corinthians 10, starting verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Most Many people think that they have some special relationship with God. No matter what they do, God understands. And it's okay that they sin or they don't do certain things. And God overlooks all that. Uh, the Bible says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. No temptation is... Overtaking you except that which is common to man. Now, you may say, look, I've got some weird genetic situation. I've got some other uh, uh, birth situation. I've got various other things. And it's true. Most people don't have precisely what it is you have. You might have something that only one out of a billion people have. If it's only one out of a billion, then there's been between 50 and 100 other people who've, who've had it, depending on how many people there have been on the earth. Uh, number is probably close to 100 billion. There's some arguments about what it should be. But anyway, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Now sometimes it thinks like you can't go one more day, but you can. You pray. But, the, but with the temptation, he'll make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it if you will humble yourself and say, okay, I believe God's word. I do not have to give up. It is fine. I will put up with this. You know, I, made, I don't like this this problem or trial or whatever that I'm going through or maybe I've gone through all my life or most of my life. But uh, you'll be faithful to God and continue to do what God wants you to do. Hold on for another day. Now, by the way, the passage I just read in 1 Corinthians 10 comes after some related to the Hebrews in Exodus, so it kind of ties it in with it. Anyway, don't make the excuse also that you've tried and you failed. You don't have to go there, but Zechariah 4.6 says, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, 
Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And I'd also, why don't we go to uh, John 4. I'm going to read verse 16 and 17 from the faithful version. I'm using this particular translation because it gets the gender, if you will, of the Holy Spirit, right? Now ask the Father, this is John 4, verse 16, and He will send you another comforter, that it may be with you throughout the age, even the Spirit of truth, which the world cannot receive because it perceives it not, nor knows it, but you can know it because it dwells with you and shall be within you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. And as far as uh, trying and failing or giving up, don't. As I paraphrased Philippians 4.13, so I've got this in my notes, I can do all things through strength, Christ who strengthens me. So don't give up. The days of love and bread are an annual reminder. And I mentioned 1 John says, if we say, 1 John 1, 8, we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Confesses our sins, faithful and just, forgive us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That's 1 John 1, verse 9. Chapter 2 from 1 John. I'll read a few verses here as well. 1 John 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write you so you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, not ours only, but for the whole world. Verse 3. Now by this we know him, if we keep his commandments. If he says, I know him, does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truth and love of God is perfected in him. By this we know we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought to walk as he also walked. Now God knew we weren't going to be perfect. That's why one of the reasons why he has the days, the plan for us to keep the days of life and bread. I want to talk about teaching children. Uh, the Apostle John refers to Christians as little children. And we need to teach our children about the days of leaven bread. In order to do that, we have to understand them ourselves. Now I want to read something from uh, the uh, old Worldwide Church of God. I'll paraphrase this, basically. This is from uh, somebody I used to know a little bit, Dexter Faulkner. Why do we eat unleavened bread? Good news of uh, March 82. The ancient Israelites uh, were in slavery in Egypt. Uh, they had to take God's plan seriously when he began to work with them. They had national crisis, etc. They were enslaved. Uh, and they were in hard bondage in Egypt. Imagine the plight of Israel's children during the months and weeks leading up to the Exodus. Uh, the Israelite children were not afforded good opportunities for education. They had hard labor. Even for the children, it was ex except they weren't were not accepted. In other words, e with an e. In other words, as slaves, the kids had to work too. Okay, God intervened. He kept his promise to uh, Abraham, and uh, they did what they were told in terms of uh, the Passover. God passed over and let them lead. Now, what does this uh, example from Israel's history mean for us today? Consider our children. Don't they also live in a difficult, confusing time? One of the worst times in history? Well, when it's way worse in certain respects than when uh, Dexter Faulkner wrote this. 
what they're teaching about sexuality and all this kind of stuff just is totally beyond what anybody thought seemed to think would happen a long time back. Anyway, don't the pressures and temptations and enigmas of life in the world exact a high price in terms of our children's physical, emotional, and yes, spiritual health? And our children so in a situation similar to children of Israel were in? We're parents coming out of sin, spiritual Egypt, and our children might be confused. If we're called begotten children of God's family, our children are specially blessed by God, according to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14. God wants them to know about His plan, His way of life. And how so? As parents, we need to teach them. One of the basic ways is to explain them the holy days and each time they come through. You know, it says, notice the admonition God gave Moses when it says, this is Deuteronomy 6, verse 6. These are the words that I command you these days. These shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lay down, and when you get up. So you're supposed to teach your kids all the time. If we've uh, truly repented and been baptized, and had one of God's true ministers lay hands on us, we receive God's Holy Spirit. Uh, that makes our children holy. Moses continues... This is uh, in his instructions. And in Deuteronomy 11, verse 19, you shall teach them God's commandments and plan to your children, talking to them when you are sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, etc. And those things are still applicable today. It's not just a matter of speaking to them. Uh, we need to teach them. We also have to lead by example. And we're supposed to be the light of the world and the light to our children. And we should talk to our children about the Exodus and what happened and those kinds of things. Now, one way to do this is to read to your children. And actually, it might be a good idea to read your children well, every day, but also at least every holy day. I've mentioned this book before, should you keep God's holy days or demonic holidays? And repetition helps uh, with memory. Now, my wife, for decades, has historically read uh, either the old Worldwide Church of God book or our book on uh, Holy Days, reading about each Holy Day as it came up. It helps you remember. Now, this particular book isn't written particularly for small children. So, but as a parent, you can read stuff and you can talk about stuff. I mean, you can obviously read it verbatim, but this could be a guide, and you should be talking to your children and teaching them about, amongst other things, the days of unleavened bread. Again, repetition helps memory. Now the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that Jesus died for our sins. We're not, and again, we're not supposed to continue in them. You can read that in Romans 6 and I've talked about that before. But we're not supposed to haphazardly keep these days in Proverbs 10.4, you don't have to go there, it says, He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes uh, rich. Now, let's go to the New Testament. This time, I want to go to 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2. Just read verse 15. Be diligent to show yourself 
approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Old Testament says we're supposed to be diligent. New Testament says we're supposed to be diligent. One of the things we should be diligent is obeying God and doing what he says, which would include keeping the days of unleavened bread, which will help us better rightly divide the word of truth. You've got a choice. I'm not going to read this all, but in Deuteronomy 30, 15-20, God says, I set before you life and death, life and good, death and evil. You have a choice. You're going to follow God or you're not going to follow God. Which way should you go? Well, don't go. You don't have to flip there, but John 4, 16. Jesus said, he was, uh, says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We're to lead God's way of life and not the way of death. In John 6, let's go over there. Start in verse 48. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead. This is bread which comes down from heaven. One may eat of it and not die. And I'm going to presume that manna was unleavened, by the way. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Manna was unleavened. Jesus would have used unleavened bread during his last Passover. You know, in the world, leaven's all around us. We tolerate sins all around it. We shouldn't tolerate, but we tend to tolerate our own sins more than we should. Um, there are other things that I could go over on this, but I want to uh, I want to go to something that uh, Herbert Armstrong wrote about the purpose of the Days of Eleven Bread. This is from the Good News Magazine, 1979. Why did God ordain these feast days? What was His purpose? It says, go to Exodus 13, verse 3. Moses said to people, remember this day you came out of Egypt. This is the 15th of Abib, verse 6. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and the seventh day shall be a feast unto the Eternal. This is because of that which the Eternal did, a memorial. This would be for a sign, miraculous proof of identity. Unto thee upon thy, thine land for a memorial between your eyes. Why? That the Lord's law may be in your mouth. Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance. Armstrong continues, O beloved brethren, do you see the wonderful meaning? Do you grasp the true significance of it? Do you see God's purpose? The Passover pictures the death of Christ for the remission of sins that are past. The accepting of His blood does not forgive sins we shall commit in the future. It doesn't give us license to continue in sin. Therefore, when we accept it, our sins are forgiven only to that point, our past sins. But should we stop there? Past sins forgiven. But we're still flesh beings. We still suffer temptations. Sin held us in its clutch. We've been slaves to sin, its powers. We're powerless to deliver ourselves from it. We've been bondage to sin. Now Jesus taught, Matthew 5.48, you're supposed to be perfect even as your Father is perfect. And we know that leaven pictures a type of sin, and it puffs up. Now I want to go back to something else that Herbert Armstrong wrote. Uh, said, it was not abolished with the Old Covenant. Observe the days of eleven bread are a period having two high Sabbaths, and this period is established forever while the Israelites were still in Egypt, before the ceremonial law of Moses had been written or given. Before God even proposed the Old Covenant, what the law of Moses' the Old Covenant did not bring or institute, they can't take away. That alone ought to prove that the holy days, the seven days of eleven bread, are banning today and forever. Now, if you apply the 
the text to the 15th, we find that the uh, Passover is also established forever. These texts refer to the feast, not the Passover, feast on unleavened bread. To observe Passover alone, then fail to observe the seven days of unleavened bread means, in symbolism, to accept Christ's blood and then to continue on in sin. To say, the law is done away, we're under grace, meaning license to continue in sin. The seven days of unleavened bread picture keeping the commandments, which is another way of putting sin out of our life. I've got a lot more scriptures I could go through, but I'll just briefly mention that in uh, Acts 20, verse 6, uh, Luke wrote that they sailed away from Philippi after the days of leavened bread, and he was writing to Greek Christians who must have been keeping the days of leavened bread, otherwise they would not have told them about that. There are other uh, arguments throughout church history, uh, it's clear that Christians were keeping uh, the days of unleavened bread. Uh, Polycrates uh, wrote the Bishop of Rome explaining why he and the Apostle Philip, John, and various other church leaders continued to keep uh, the Passover on the right day on the, and the days of unleavened bread. As far as uh, Polycrates uh, goes, uh, he was a, a Church of God leader. And uh, we also see other evidence with a guy by the name of Peonius. And I'm not going to go into all the details on the church history side of it. Uh, but uh, again, you can find that in this uh, book here. What I want to do is go to my conclusions this article. And I have a, have a very long article on Days of Living Bread. Uh, there's evidence that they were kept uh, throughout history. Uh, they were condemned by various Greco-Roman uh, councils. Uh, we see evidence of them being kept in the 1600s and later. Uh, and so the other thing I want to do is just to read a few comments that I wrote a long time back. The days of leavened bread are first mentioned in the Old Testament. You'll, you know that. It's in the New Testament that we learn more fully that, t- that today's leaven pictures false religion, and sin. So a lot of people say, oh, those things were in the Old Testament, they were from the Jews. I don't think the Jews under- the Jews and the ancient children of Israel understood all these things that we're talking about here today. The New Testament shows the connection between Jesus' Passover sacrifice and removing of sin from our lives, which again, something that the Jews or ancient Israelites didn't uh, understand. Leaven, according to Jesus, is a symbol of sin, hypocrisy, lawlessness. But again, a lot of people won't keep it. In Galatians 5, I want to cut into verse 7. The Apostle Paul warned, Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And again, during the days of the bread, uh, leaven is a physical reminder of sin. And eating unleavened bread is a reminder that we're supposed to not have sin in our life. We're not supposed to tolerate it. I want to go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. And read uh, verses 5 through 11. These will be the final verses I'm going to read, but it's going to take me a moment or so here. Uh, first, did I say 2 Peter? Well, I want to go to 1 Peter 5. 
Then I'm going to go to Second Peter 1. Okay, sorry. So I have two sections from Peter. Those Peter's what I want to finish with in terms of scriptures. First Peter 5, starting verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks above like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood the world. So we need to be diligent and vigilant. Anyway, Second Peter 2, starting verse... Second Peter... 1, starting in verse 5. 2 Peter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control. And yes, we have self-control uh, for not eating leaven. Self-control, perseverance, and persevering godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even in blindness, and has forgotten that he is cleansed from his old sins. And we're supposed to be cleansed from our old sins for the, for the, except for the sacrifice of Jesus, which is also pictured each year by the Passover. Verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. If you'll obey the word of God, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. By keeping the days of unleavened bread, Christians picture that they've heard the word of God, accepted the sacrifice of Jesus. We try to put the word of God into practice, and we symbolically put out false religion and our sins from our life. By keeping the days of unleavened bread, Christians show we're willing to obey God above the traditions of men. Don't be puffed up. Don't rely on false arguments to keep you from obeying the Bible and the practices of Jesus and those who knew Jesus. In conclusion, as the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 5, 8, so this was another part of his scripture, only part of scripture, therefore let us keep the feast. He's talking about the feast of unleavened bread, which is what we should be keeping for seven days, and hopefully you are doing that. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God.